Traders Live podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Traders Live podcast. My name is Chogas. Joined with me today is my not so other better half of the uh, podcast. That's Mardo. And we have a very special guest, our second one today, Bo. Howdy. He, uh, Bo and I have known each other for a while now. He's an equities trader and we sort of first found each other in the ASX day trade chat in Discord. We've, we've had many conversations over a couple of years. I was just reflecting this morning. Bo, for me, was he had conviction on a, on a stock and a thesis that he had. Um, and he had a five figure day off the back of that. And for me, that was a really good learning opportunity. And, and I've sort of taken a lot of his approaches to the market on board. And we are going to delve into all of that today. And it's going to be really, really interesting, really interesting guy outside of trading as well. So we're going to get into everything. But if you're a trader that's still finding edge, you're still learning strategy, you're struggling with consistency, profitability, any of that, like Bo, for some reason, and I hope we get into this, just like has answers and can ask the right questions. Bo knows. Bo knows. Mate, I've only just met Bo face to face. I've been obviously on Discord and uh, Substack and whatnot, but I, I feel like I've known Bo for a, a few years, mate, and I can't uh, can't wait to get into some of the uh, your background. Thank yep. you. Yep. Yeah. Now, I'm about to start your hour clock i'm going to start that right about now so feel free to uh to do any trades that you please from now on i know that for something different we're going to go equities here you've got fmg up talk to me about your approach for the hour that we have together uh okay uh my approach is somewhat similar to uh yolo um that's the mentality behind it but uh basically just before we hopped on the podcast I had a huge power outage, which hasn't happened before. Um, so my three screens are turned off. I've borrowed my partner's laptop. And uh, this is about the only thing I have access to to make analysis on right now. So I thought, given the circumstances, I'd keep it interesting and go for the hero short on FMG because that thing is straight up. Um, and I will I will disclaim that, that this is not a, uh, a viable strategy if you're looking to to actually make money in the markets. This is absolutely YOLO trade, but it should be fun. So we'll go with that. Okay. So it's nothing how you normally trade. Um, obviously we can get into um, how you do trade during yep. the podcast, but yeah, for those listening at home, don't, I mean, unless your strategy is YOLO, don't worry about anything that you're sort of doing today. And again, we're not playing for sheep stations. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good, mate. Tell me a little bit about early life, really quick. I know that you are currently living in Newcastle. Can you give me right. like what's the what's the few minutes of of who who are you? Yeah, okay. So I grew up um, on the outskirts of Sydney in a place called Barara. Um, it was a little country town, twenty thousand people, um, sort of the place where everyone your age knows each other. Um, and yeah, I just sort of went down to the river there. We ran through the bush and we we jumped in the ocean and not the ocean, the river. And, uh, you know, it was very active growing up and it was sort of doing acrobatics, trampolining, riding our bikes around. Um, shall we get into where we went after school, things like that? Or shall we? 100%. Yeah, okay. So um, after school, I sort of, that cascaded and I ended up training parkour with a few people. And uh, about the time I left school, there was sort of workshops, promotions, video work that we we're doing with parkour. And that sort of sustained me for two or three years. Um, following that, got into IT, 
did maybe three or four years there and I was part-time doing uh, videography and photo work. And uh, since that point, I've moved into more or less full-time um, videography and photography, um, mainly doing real estate and also trading alongside so I can sort of set my own schedule and block out that first hour and uh, focus on the markets from 10 a.m. to sort of 11.30 where most of the Nice. Mate, I'll just quickly jump in. So I know you mentioned uh, you don't normally trade like this, but just back to the trade. So what can you give us a um, a brief overview of why you're shorting against the market? Well, why, firstly, why you're trading FMG. Yep. Um, is that one of your, your, your go-tos? And, um, and why are you shorting against the market? Okay. On a day like today, um, I mean, I haven't been able to check the last half hour of action. I haven't seen any news reports that have come out due to the power outage. But um, I sort of like on these days where not much is happening to find something that's in line with the market, something that moves with the index. Um, and I'm just looking for either um, oversold or overbought territory and then looking to trade in line with the index. Um, so if something's showing that it's been up for three or four days consistently and it's given everyone a free ride to the upside, um, I'm looking for maybe a pullback if the markets can pull back. And uh, I have something, I have you to thank, Marto, for that analysis because I read your, your email this morning. And, uh, oh, yeah? Looks oh, like yeah, I was wondering if that was part of it, mate. It was, yeah. So it looks like there's a good chance the market was going to pull back today. Um, so I thought... Can I, can I ask a really silly question, mate? So what, yeah. you're, you're still mainly training equities? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So what, what you said there, just in terms of, you know, trying to pick, you know, FMG roughly tracks the market. Is it, what, what's the attraction of trading FMG? I know you're looking at um, indices at different times, but yep. is there a reason why you kind of try and pick a stock that tracks the indices instead of the indice itself? Um, look, I've been sort of trialing trading the indice itself for the last maybe six months. Um, the, the answer is really it's just because it's what I know. Um, I think you can see a little bit of relative strength or weakness in equities against the index, and maybe that might serve as a bit of a buffer um, so that if you're wrong and the index starts to turn, you might have a little bit of a, a, um, a, a second there to bail out before you do some damage. Um, so that's the first thing, but I probably intend to move more into indices as I carve that out and get a more consistent feel for it. Yeah, mate, outside of obviously the pressure cooker that is the hour this morning, what do you like? And I know that your trading has evolved so much over the, over the years that we've, we've known each other, but right now, where are you finding your edge in the market? Are you trading equities on an intraday basis? Are you trading swing trades? Like where, where's most of your capital and most of your time sort of focused at the moment? Yeah. Okay. So I guess it depends on the modality of the market. Um, one thing that I think I went pretty wrong with when I started doing equities is just not recognizing when conditions change. Um, I sort of had the intro through a few of those podcasts on uh, Chat with Traders, which I think that a lot of Aussie equities guys do um, with, with Bryce and Nick. Um, there's some pretty legendary podcasts there. And you might have the idea that you can come in and um, you know buy a news release and be right or wrong pretty quickly and make some money. And the reality is that these guys mentioned that in the podcast and they're very good at it, but uh, there's a lot of factors that go into that. And there's, you know, there's years behind them of, of reading the market. They're probably watching the indexes. I've actually, I've read their reviews a lot over the years. I know that quite a few of them, Austin, you know, watch the index and 
get a feel for where it is. Um, so yeah, I guess that sort of buying the news thing is something that I try to avoid a little bit these days. Um, what was the question? I'm a bit lost here. What are you, what are you doing these days? Okay. Okay. So if it's, um, if it's earning season, it's very different to, if it's not, if it's a bull market, it's very different. If we're, we've got a bit of momentum, um, I feel like if there's solid momentum to the upside and it's not too overextended, I might be looking at your class, classic Kualamagi, you know, clan slim, can slim breakouts. Um, so something that's gone up um, a lot and then it's consolidated and then you get the 10 and 20 day moving average moving beneath it. Um, and you want to couple that with some some fundamentals and you want to couple it with uh, understanding if the stock has book value or something like that. If there's upcoming news or perhaps they're, they're going to start production if they're a minor, something like that. Um, during earnings season, that sort of shifts a bit and I'll be looking on the day to find anything that's drastically offside. Um, so I'll bring up broker predictions. I'll bring up, um, you know, short interest and get an idea for where people are on this stock and, and obviously the recent price performance. And uh, if something is massively offside, you know, they had good predictions on their earnings um, and they've come in way under and the market's generally been bullish lately, I'll probably look to capitalize on that panic and sell it. And um, the other side of it too is if, you know, the expectations are in the bin um, and they've come out and they've done really well, I'll probably look for that that moment in time when the crowd flips a little bit and you just want to line that up with the market and you want to line that up with price action and, and not jump the gun. You don't want to force your opinion on um you know, what the market should find important, which I think is probably a huge mistake that myself and many others made when they come into this. They're like, oh, look at this announcement. It, it reads fantastic. The market's going to care. And, uh, you know, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, just yep. just quickly stepping back. So they're all, I guess, tools that you're using to come to a decision. But yep. like from a new trader perspective, who wants to trade equities, they're coming in, they've got, you know, you mentioned technical analysis, you mentioned company earnings, you, you mentioned, um, you know, fundamentals, all like, where do you start? Is it one of those things that, you know, piques your interest and then you look at the next and the next and that's your confirmation or how does that I guess work? so. I, I think if I was to go again, I mean, probably to understand this, I could give you an example of where I went in my first few months of trading. And that was just after the COVID um, gap where it sunk to the low and they started printing, the market started running again and it was basically all the way up to highs again. Um, and so it was around the time that ZipPay and Afterpay were, uh, were making moves and uh, I'd see their announcements and I'd buy it. And, uh, you know, these were profitable trades that you just write them up all day sort of thing. And um, I thought I was a bit of a genius, but come think of it, I was in at a really good time and I, I didn't understand that. And so if I was to start again, it would be about realizing where you are in that um, cycle. If we've got money coming into the market, if we're in a bull market, because um, that's going to drastically affect your ability to make money on, on news releases. I mean, there's a good chance that without these news releases, these stocks were still going up. So I was just in the right position. Um, so yeah, if I was to start again, I'd say, top-down analysis, understand where we are, like a good a good thing is just to have moving averages on your index chart, moving averages on your stock charts. Uh, another good thing to do is just sort of scan, 
relative strength. So particularly on the year, if it's near uh, the 52-week high, you know, it's obviously a strong stock. Um, and if, sorry, mate, you're talking about how, what's your um, duration of trading? Like you're not you're not talking about holding for 10 years, you're no. what, days, weeks? Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's sort of the news release thing, I'm talking about within the day, you're looking to flip it, you're looking to find a trend and join that. Um, but if you're a little bit more confident in the market, you might sort of swing that for, I mean, I'll go anywhere up to sort of, I think two months was my EOS trade. Um, and that was a conviction long. And that was sort of at the time where I thought the market had, looking at a few things, the world was fairly bearish at the time as well. Um, things were selling off and, you know, commitment of traders, uh, everything was showing that we're, we're at the downside and it sort of stopped selling off uh, aggressively. So I thought this is probably a safe spot to start swinging something you believe in. Um, so, yeah. But, I, but just I, as, a, as, as a general rule, so you said, if I can summarize what you're saying. So to start with, you kind of, you want to have a bias of the overall market trend. So you, before you look to, you know, it's no good trying a longer, longer stock for a day if um, the market's in a, a downtrend in your opinion. Yeah, fully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, a good thing to sort of look at within those trends is if it's in a downtrend recently, has it sort of sold down for two or three days? Cause you don't want to be, you know, selling on the fourth day after mm. three legs down sort of thing. I mean, it's just, you look at the data, you look at the charts, it's the chance of follow through is pretty little. So you sort of trying to join that trend in spots that you find, um, that you might have a reasonable amount of, um, midpoint as opposed to extension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, and sorry, sorry, Chase. One last thing: Do you um is it uh, the small end of the market or the like the liquidity of the kind of larger names? Or well, this is the thing, and this is sort of where I trip up, and I think I've got to develop this part as a trader because um, if I look back on my last couple of years, I think most of the gains have been towards in the small end of the market. Um, but I think I've been pretty fixated on trading shorter term. Um, day trades just be on larger cap stocks just because it's a bit more exciting um and being at that point now i guess that's sort of where i've moved into uh trying to move towards indices because i realized that there's not as much movement in a lot of these large caps they tend to mean revert um but you know you get the right news amount announcement and you get the right um market modality and, and maybe these things will move does that sort of answer it yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I was. I don't know. I'm. I'm trying to work all that out myself here, mm. and it's an ongoing development. Yeah, I was quite similar to you, where I sort of took trading more seriously through COVID, and upon reflection, it it almost, in terms of longevity of a trader, would have been the worst time to be in the market because you make quick cash, and then suddenly the tap turns off, and you're left with an edge that was only there when the market's going up and we're, we're in this range bound market and opportunities are a lot harder to come by. I was trading swing setups, um, Kualamagi style as well with, you know, those 10, 20, um, day moving averages with, uh, I guess, um, you got, uh, the wind on your back, you're, you're taking the strongest stocks on the market can, on the assumption that they continue to be strong. What was it like for you coming out of, that period and where was the realization that what we had is now gone and what was that pivot like? 
Well, I mean, it kicked my ass, I'll be honest. Um, you know, going from that sort of early massive bull run of just buying zip paying after pay and thinking that you you had your um your place in the market to that not working was not something that I realized really quickly. Um, it probably took me a year of just chopping and, and churning. And that's what separates the pros, I think, is that they can see that. They can, they can say, okay, like it, it's changed now. Um, I don't think that you can skip that tuition. I think everyone I know has sort of dealt with it. And the problem with that is that you, you bounce around strategies at that point. You go, okay, so the breaking news isn't working. Like I'll, I'll move into small caps or whatever it is. Um, chances are by the time, you know, small cap market occurs and you realize it's, uh, you know, it's probably cooled off a bit too. So, um, the short answer was it was difficult. It was really difficult. And, uh, I still am, you know, on that journey of trying to work out when things shift. I think that's, is it a small cap market? Is it, um, you know, is it a large cap market? Is it, is there, is it even worth trading at the moment? Really? Um, one thing that I've sort of been doing this year a lot more is instead of trying to decide where the action is i'll pull up a bunch of different screens on spark for sort of different denomination stocks and uh, i'll just scan for large trades in every single denomination whether it be a small cap or a large cap and you'll see one of them sort of flash a lot more um, and what that serves is a good spot to know where the action is occurring um, and you sort of get a feel for it. So I think maybe like three or four weeks ago, the sort of small cap market kicked off and you see these, these trade scanners just light up and you've got, um, you've got things kicking off. You've got a bunch of different trades in that space and uh, that's where the action is. The action at the moment, um, you know, it seems to be in lithium. Everyone's sort of paying attention to lithium and coal. Um, and, you know, if you're scanning for trades and you keep an eye out for those sort of bigger parcels that are flashing off, you might, you might be able to pick on that a, a little bit sooner, which is, uh, so that's kind of been my solution to that in, in spotting where the, the action is, is just having trade scans popping up and, um, they can, yeah, they can point you in the right direction. And sorry, mate, what do you use for that? Was it spark? Yes, yeah, it's spark. Yeah. Okay. Just sort of your ASX, uh, go to software. It's, it's pretty amazing. Cause you can see the book. I mean, I, I actually don't think anyone's spoken about it on this uh, podcast before, but um, you can see where bids and offers line up and you can see where they execute, um, how much passive versus active trading is occurring, if it's happening on the, the bid or the offer. Um, and that sort of gives you a little bit of a read, particularly in small cap space of um, where things are occurring. So that, that's reading the tape when you refer to that? Reading the tape, yeah. Yeah. So can you, uh, can we do it on this or have you got a screen? We can't. No? No. Okay. Right. Oh, look, so it's, how, it's going great. How, My FMG YOLO short is going well. Oh, so. I was going to say, what's, uh, <laughs> so what are you thinking now, mate? Where, where's your, you know, if this was a real trade, where would you be looking for to, to manage your risk? Where would you be looking to stop out above the high or a certain time or? Yeah. Um, I probably have both a time stop and a movement stop. Um, if this thing's moved sort of more than 80% of what it normally moves in a day, um, I'm looking at trimming down and monitoring for um, if it's over. And the other thing is generally at 11 a.m. it's probably over as well. So I sort of have a time spot stop on that one where if it hits 11 a.m. 
I yeah, another another error I made early in the picture is I'd have a good trade on, I'd be in profit, and I'd be like, ah, oh, look, I'm right. Um, I'll go out for coffee and you know, yeah. you pop out at eleven AM and it just goes straight back against <laughs> you. It's that mean reversion hour. So uh, yeah. I learned the hard way just to, you know, if things are going really well at eleven AM, flip chop it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and mate, just with the tail of the tape again, can you talk yeah. on it? Unfortunately we can't pull it up here, but yeah, what, tell us what you what you're looking for there. Yeah, okay. This is interesting because I think a good tape setup often appears counterintuitive. Um, when I got into this, I thought that if I could solve the tape, I might be able to, you know, make it. And um, it's a lot more overvalued, I think, than it than it should be. Uh, I think that underneath it, you want to have a reason to buy, you know. You want to say, okay, this thing's been showing relative strength the last few days. Um, the chart's looking good. Maybe there's recent news. But as far as the tape component, I guess what you're looking at is where there's a lot of liquidity. And I think it reflects it reflects general dynamics. So let's say that you're creeping up to a round number where there's um, big offers stacked and they've been sitting there for weeks. Well, what those big offers are telling you is that, you know, we've been around for a while. We know that this stock is probably worth more than what it is. And I'm not really scared to stack that. I'm not scared to, to spook the market. So when you see something moving up to a point of bulk um, liquidity in the market, you sort of think, okay, these people have been around for a while. They're not just going to freak out and, and dump on the market and spook um, the price action. But uh you also know that it's a good spot if there's a large fund or someone that's larger that wants to get in. So you sort of set, tend to see it gravitate towards points in the tape where there's big lines. Um, so yeah, if there's if there's actually so what, are you, what more, are you looking what are you looking for if you're on say the long side? If I'm on the long side, uh, what I'd ideally like to see is like a bunch of stacked offers, and I'd like to see um, bids moving up more aggressively towards the stacked offer. So. I guess it reflects if you're in a line or something, you know, and everyone wants something, you want everyone at the front, you want them scrambling over it. Um, and you sort of don't want them sitting back saying, I'm going to wait for this to be on sale. So when you see that reflected in the tape and you see a bunch lining up right before price action, um, you, you can sort of have a little bit of confirmation that this thing's probably on your side. Um, yeah. Does that sort of answer it? Yeah, it does. Bo, um, I don't know if your fans just turned on. Do you mind just um, yeah, switching absolutely. that off for audio quality? My bad. Absolutely, which is uh, good news because my power's back on now. So, oh, perfect. Well, that's that's good. Um, <laughs> that's funny, mate. On tape reading, you and I have done a bit of work together. We were on a similar trade um, together earlier in the year. I've essentially adopted um, one of the conviction sort of plays out of that, but just still honing in on the tape reading element of that. Talk mm -hmm. to me about um, one, bots, and then two, um, yeah, just delving further into where pools of liquidity may lie in the tape and how action essentially goes to meet those different points in the tape so that, you know, larger, larger, uh, you know, parcels can get filled. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, I guess... There was, there was a time where I came in and I was like, where's the bot? 
you know, where's the stock with the bot? Um, I think, you know, a few people wonder that. They're like, oh, the bots are on this stock. The bots are on every stock, you know. <laughs> the whole thing's a, a bot game. Um, yes, yeah. So, yeah, I think if you see a little bit of funny action in the tape, you know, you see a bunch of orders trigger very quickly, you know, you can definitely read into that a little too deep. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge problem. And, and that was my problem too, is you'd look at it and you'd be like, oh, my God, like, look at this, that that fired off within milliseconds of each other and, you know, this. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it just reflects, when you get bot action, it reflects how traders would be, but just a lot quicker, you know. Um, if, if you it's, see a, it's a good question because I'm, I'm just reading um, Dark Pool, uh, no, Flash Boys, sorry, at the moment. Yeah, I've read that. High Great frequency. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's a it's a poignant question in terms of yeah, they're obviously front running uh, orders or putting little drips in the market to kind of try and identify when buyers come in the market. So, and I guess that's why you know I don't trade equities anymore. But it seems like a a little bit of a turn off to me. And you hear a lot of kind of experienced traders say that it's it's tough for retail traders because there is you know algo so much algo activity etc in equities and you know individual equities and i guess you know from a futures side of things it's obviously a deeper more liquid market um that that happens of course but um but yeah you don't it's not so specific yeah and and the thing is with futures i think there's a bit more pressure on it you know if something is where it shouldn't be you sort of rest assured that a lot of people are going to think that too um whereas with equities you know sometimes I don't know if you ever look on Spark Chogas, but at 7 p.m. at night, sort of all the bids pull and all the offers pull. And you thought that you're in a stock that had, you know, I don't know, 20K on either side volume. And then all of a sudden the market makers pull or whoever's facilitating trade decide to, you know, cancel for the day and, and reload the next. And you go, oh my God, like I was just, I was, they were just skating the half pipe, you know, they were just going between prices and I was reading it going, oh my God, like is this the, is this the buy signal? Yeah. 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 It's probably a but, really good opportunity to transition into how technology and how you use technology in your trading. Now that we're sort of going down that rabbit hole of technology being used more actively in the market, how are you using tech to enhance your trading either through execution or analysis? Where does that come in? Yeah, okay. Um, well, so the first thing is sort of having good Spark scanners on. Um, so, you know, if something's got a news announcement, you want to see what a news announcement has got sort of the most um, volume executing, relative volume, that's a good one, a relative volume scan. Um, I reckon you should have trade scanners if you're in the small cap space um, to keep an eye on where the action is. Um, I also like to go through hot copper and I don't think that many opinions on hot copper are worth looking at, um, but I do think that utilizing being able to sort what has the most comments or the most views on a news announcement is also pretty handy. Um, and yeah, exactly. So it's just, it's not necessarily about building an opinion on what other people think. It's just knowing where the puck is and going to the puck. Um, yeah, and then uh, I guess where I've taken a leaf out of Mato's book is um, I've sort of been exporting data from TradingView, um, particularly on these days where not much is happening and you've got a large cap stock. Um, 
And I've got I've got a certain amount of technical indicators that I export. So um, one of them is the the three day RSI on the rate of change, which is something that I stole from Linda Rashke, who's a bit of a trading legend. Um, she had a, a book called Street Smarts, and they were just talking about how they trade equities. Um, but you know, the, the point is that I'm just getting a bunch of different uh, indicators that I think might be worthwhile. So one of them is, you know, where the five and 10 day moving average is. One of them is how far it's gapped up. One of them is the three day rate of change. And uh, I'm just looking at where something's opened and um, sort of filtering for something that resembles that. Um, so, you know, if it's open at 1% and yesterday was a, you know, a trend down day and the three day rate of change is um, to the lower bands, um, the moving averages are moving up. I mean, how does this normally perform? And uh, yeah, it's that's sort of been a bit of a game changer as far as knowing when to expect either a trend or mean reversion. Um, if you can decipher those two, I think you'll, you'll do a lot better. At least I have. So you export data from TradingView. Yeah. Then what do you do with it? With all, obviously all those indicators, but what do you do with it then? What's your process? Um, so I'll have like uh, Excel formulas. Maybe I'll have five different, I don't know if uh, I, I would recommend looking at Mato's spreadsheet for anyone that's watching. I'm, I'm sure most people have, but. Um, Stop yeah. plugging him, mate. Don't... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got to say thank you. But um, yeah, you know, I'll basically paste five columns or so of something similar to what Mato is doing, but for my indicators. And um, then I'll just filter it. I'll just look at the market. I'll say, okay, this is up, you know, 0.5%. Yesterday was a, a red day and this is the three-day rate of change and our moving averages are here. What can I expect? And it's all, it's all pretty simple. I mean, the, one of the things that I thought was really daunting is how can I get quantitative data while not being a programmer? And uh, yeah, I've just sort of seen that you can do that. You know, in Excel, pretty easily if you if you know how to you know equals B two minus C two formulas, it's it's not rocket science. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and to not plug Mardo, but I have had a similar discovery where it it isn't actually rocket science to sort of create and execute trading strategies using numerical data um, in and data sets. It is just a matter of plugging stuff into Excel financial markets are so amazing because there is such a variety and large scale amount of free data available. And yeah, all you need is an Excel book and yeah, the ability to match some cells and stuff. And you, you can get actual real insight rather than, you know, you might see something and go, Oh, I wonder, you know, I wonder if that has any, any real rhyme or cause for, for that happening. And you can actually go back and just check it in Excel and it's not, it's not rocket science. And I think that's a re really daunting for, I know it is for me when I look at, you know, the algo traders and whatever that we, that we know, um, you know, I'd love to have that kind of expertise. So yeah, I guess what I'm trying to do and what you guys are trying to do with, um, you know, some pretty simple data in Excel is just have a kind of a step between those to being completely naive about, you know, how a certain things happened in the past. And then, yeah, as, as you said, though, not having the full programming, experience yeah and uh yeah that's the thing about you know i've experimented a lot with um writing strategies like trying to write mechanical strategies and uh i guess the thing that 
you manage to avoid is you can very quickly classify what kind of day it is. So you know what sort of strategy to deploy as opposed to if you're always running a mean reversion and a directional strategy, um, you know, your drawdown is going to be a lot more. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, you know, if you are a trader out there who has had a good run during COVID and maybe you're still struggling a little bit data, you know, your, your success sort of lies in the work that you're, you're not willing, you're willing to do. And I mean, you're trying to get into that, that next tier and, you know, by avoiding going that data and that quantitative approach, even though you see so many successful traders around you using it, it's, mm. you're just you're gatekeeping yourself from essentially what could be, it's yeah, not, not a tough thing to get any sort of um benefit from yeah I mean, just 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 sorry to cut in but um so how so you use trading view but you can also outsource i know i've outsourced some of this data yeah to um the philippines and so different areas yeah. at different stages so yeah i mean it's not yeah even if you're not a uh you don't kind of rate yourself in excel like it's not that hard to jump on upwork and you know give you know, pay someone, you know, $5 an hour to kind of data entry for you if you're kind of interested in that thing and think it could be worthwhile. I, um, yeah, well, you're absolutely right. And that, that's something I did. I, um, you can get broker data for the ASX. So you can see which brokers are buying what. Um, that's from FN Arena? Uh, no, this is actually, so FN Arena does if, um, say, a bank has upgraded a stock. Okay. But uh, Bloomberg and day trade scans, I can't. I don't have Bloomberg, but uh, we use day trade scans. You can export who's been buying. Um, anyway, the reason I'm saying this is because I got someone overseas to build. You can basically export what each broker is doing, but it's very hard to combine them together and sort of get use it as a sentiment indicator. So I had someone that could pull every single um, broker and what they're doing and then put it all into a spreadsheet so that I can sort it from how many brokers are long to how many brokers are short. Mm. Um, and the whole thing cost me like $80. You can, mm. I didn't have a clue what to do. If you, uh, if you get the right guy, man, you can just, you can do a lot. That's brilliant. Yeah. 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 That was part of the EOS trade actually. Um, just on that one, that one of the things, as far as a broking standpoint, it had the most, um, selling out of any stock on the ASX. So the most universal brokers selling, um, so there was sort of a mean reversion there going, okay, if everything thinks, everyone thinks that this thing's done and it's got another wind in it, then it's probably going to get a little bit closer to book value. Yeah. So I think we're going to touch on that, that Chergs, aren't we? Can I, can I just, um, are we halfway Chergs? What's the, um, what are you thinking? What are you, how, how are you liking your trade here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, I think I'm going to, yeah, I'll probably chisel out just a little bit now. Um, but I'm going to stick by my 11 a.m. stop as well. So I might just hold on to um, the, the remaining 1,500 shares short and uh, come 11 a.m. when the morning drive is generally, you know, getting exhausted, I'll, I'll chop it. Um, put, it's done. Oh, you'll, it's, you'll, you'll, close it, you'll close it or you put the stop above the high or something? Yeah, I'll close it, I think. You'll close yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and just on uh, taking profit, so you've kind of – um, taking bits along the way. Is that normally you think that's the best strategy? Um, yeah, I think it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, normally. Uh, As you said, mate, you only need to be burnt a few times where you've held on 
um, hoping for that, you know, 50 point move and it's come back um, to, to kind of appreciate that you need to take bits along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, part of the reason I'm taking profits is because, I mean, if you look at this, you look at its range throughout the days recently. I mean, this is this is getting right up on the edge there of how far this thing moves. Just eyeballing it. I don't have my tools here, but, um, you know, it probably would be a little bit greedy to uh, to presume that we're going to get a sink down to here or something. So you uh, when you when you do trade, you might rely on the ADR or the ATR, the average daily range or true range there for a stock to sort of understand when you are getting to the maximum expectancy on, yeah. on the day move. Yeah, yep. definitely. Um, yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm out way before the average daily range, unless there's like a an event where some news has got the stock offside. Um, you know, in a situation like that, you can presume that everyone's panicking and you can sort of throw that out and, and uh, just know that you're going to have an extended move. But yeah, like if you're just trading the chop like I am today, uh, where there's no significant news catalyst, yeah, you better get out nice and quick. <laughs> get out quick. Don't overstay welcome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, that's great. Let's get on to this EOS trade. It's something that we've alluded to several times throughout um, throughout the, the interview, but it's probably just important to know that we we're going to be presenting this. You and I were both sort of trading EOS for a while there. It is an ASX uh, defense stock. It used to be a, I guess, a, a market darling of the defense industry and mm. it very much fell off. Um, can you give me a little bit of context pre-trade around the company and then around how you first discovered the opportunity for the trade? Yeah. Okay. Um, so well, yeah, well, it was a market darling. Um, they specialize in defense products. So they've got anti-drone um, mounting solutions, which I think is, you know, as I, I feel weird about it because I'm really not so for war or anything, but, um, you know, just looking at this stock itself, it was, it was an opportunity um, based on the company's sort of valuation and, and positioning in the market. Uh, I don't necessarily think that we should be investing in, in uh, things that can cause damage, but this was a, an anti-drone um, move that they'd been working on. And uh, that's sort of the future of warfare is, you know, these remote control drones and aircraft and things like that. Um, they got a pretty good system. They've got, they're in with the Australian defense. Um, they got a good book, book value. Um, they also specialize in uh, satellite and, and laser. Um, they've got a division for that, which I believe they've since put on hold. Um, but they've also alluded the whole time that they're talking to the government um, about reinstating that for a pretty significant uh, project. I also knew that they had a few tenders in with um, with some of the defence primes, um, some of the big companies you've probably heard of, um, and they're, they're all sort of public tenders that they've released or they've put in a back page of their um, their news announcements, but you, you sort of have to read between the lines. They're not going to put it as the title. Um, so you know that this thing sort of got got some projects in the works. Um, and I think the first time it really came up on my scans was um, when I was doing broker data, I was just looking at what was most universally sold uh, by most brokers. And I think it was like uh, maybe like number four or something. And, you know, the top three were just, you know, you, you, don't, you do not want to be in, in them. Like they've had no history of being good in the market or anything. Uh, 
And so, yeah, I saw that. And then I think it was the CEO left and um, it sort of failed to move down. Um, at the same time, you've got Ukraine kicking off and, uh, you know, we're, we're, as Australia, we're pretty involved in, in NATO and, and that side of things. And uh, soon enough, they announced, to my surprise, actually, that um, they were selling some of the, the drone defense mounts. Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention as well, they had, um, they had deals where for further tank production, some of their equipment would be mounted on the top of the tanks too. So sort of all that made you think, all right, they've got contracts in the works. They just need to spin this around and, and sort out their cash burn and whatnot. And if they, it was a bet on survival. If they survive, they're probably going to be worth something. If they don't, then, you know, that's that. But uh, this is this is the opportunity right here. So the CEO left and uh, price didn't really mind it. It sort of didn't sell off. And that's when I started to nibble a little bit. I was like, all right. This, uh, this is a classic. There's a guy called Jason Shapiro that I, I follow and um, he's very much, he just measures sentiment. And when everyone thinks that something is a, is a buy or a short in sentiment, you know, that's sort of where he is because he plays that mean reversion for when people look back and go, oh, maybe this is something. So it was that moment where a news release happened that was potentially bearish and the market was like, oh, this is it's probably pretty good. So I took a nibble. Um, I believe around that time they they spoke about deals with Ukraine to provide um, drone defense systems, and we got a bit of a, a spike up there. Um, it consolidated for maybe oh, ten to twenty days, and it was just a classic Kualamagi style breakout, really, where this thing's pumped significantly to the upside, and your ten and twenty day moving average are coming up and forming a bit of support. Um, I think I was also looking at anchored VWAP. Um, since the CEO left, I was like, where's the average um, position here? And sure enough, when they all sort of move synergistically, when you've got the average price, the average buyer um, meeting where it had gapped up and you got the 10 and 20 day moving average giving pressure and you've got book value way higher. I think it was around 70 cents at that point. Book value had been measured sort of, you know, $1.20, $1.30 if this thing um, pulls through, which, you know, you, you never know if it will. Um and that's when you sort of go, all right, well, if this thing's going to move, it's going to be here. So I think I hit in way bigger than I should have and uh, it, uh, it paid off. So that was nice. There's a few probably takeaways from what you've just said there. The first one is, you know, you could have kept it as simple as I was scanning for Kualamagi setups and disappeared. And I took the, you know, I took the long side and it broke out. But what you really did is you understood the stock. You understood the the narrative, you understood that CEO departures usually, um, you know, for better or for worse, move price. This time it didn't. So, you know, the, the um, I guess the people who had the float of the stock were, were content holding where it was. Mm. So you got, you got a lot more perspective than just a couple of um, days of consolidation on the chart. You know, you, it seems like you really understood this stock deeper than that. And do you think that that really contributed to the conviction and the payoff? Yeah, def I mean, I was going to the extent of sitting in on the, the webinars, listening to what they had to say. Um, as far as sellers, you know, like it just, it looked like it was going to bounce for a year and it would, uh, it would hit lows. It would start to form a base. And uh, I think um, I, I'm pretty sure it was like the all time VWAP or something was it was like well and truly beneath it 
uh, and it had shaken, you know, five or ten times underneath it. And you just think, who's left to sell after the last year? It was brutal. Uh, I, I even was browsing hot copper. You know, everyone was calling for the bounce, you know, a year before this point. Um, and, you know, like it's everyone had given up. Like there was not even a whisper of EOS. Like there was maybe like one or two people commenting and being like, oh, you know, maybe there's a contract in a year or something. Um, so, yeah. So what, mate, what was the end entry and exit on that one, roughly? Um, off the top of my head, it was, so I started nibbling around that 45 to 50 cents, um, just little parcels. And then when it bounced up to that 70 to 75 cent range, that's when I, I waited for that confirmation. Um, and I, I hit in pretty heavily around that 73% mark or something like that. 73 cents. Yeah. Yeah. And where did it finish? Where, where did the Are you still the, holding or? The high, um, no, I'm not still holding. Uh, the high was 130. I didn't get that. I think I chopped um, $1.10 to $1.15. Um, but that was most of my position. And that was sort of, uh, you know, enough to, to pay me. And then I think I swung maybe maybe just less than a quarter for, for a little bit longer and uh, gave a bit back on that. And uh, that was unfortunate, but we can't always nail the top or bottom. So I stopped yeah, that. Nice that last quarter out at around like a 90 cents to a dollar sort of thing, which is brilliant. What a trade, mate. Well done. <laughs> yeah, it's good. So because you had that, because you had that conviction, did you size up compared to other trades that you'd previously taken? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought okay. it was the trade of the year and I, I wanted to make my year on it. Um, okay. That's sort of what I thought. I was like, okay, if this, I've never seen so many factors line up like this before. Um, yeah. so, you know, like I need to, I need to be uncomfortable in this early. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting kind of line of thought that we, is for another day, but you know, you've got kind of the, the Soros theory that, you know, you, you wait for those moments and then you kind of put, put everything on the line for them or do you just kind of, yeah, do bits and pieces across, you know, diversify across a lot of different areas. But, uh, it obviously, yeah, when you're so, you know, convinced in that case, it, uh, it paid off. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's been a few cases where I've had, I'd never, I wouldn't say I'd ever had the same level of conviction, but there has been situations where it doesn't pay off. And that's, you know, that, that's the thing. Market doesn't care how good you think a trade is. And as time goes on, just going on what you said, Marto, I mean, I find myself wanting to be more risk averse. Um, and, you know, who knows, maybe in a few years, I'll look back on that trade and be like, wow, that was maybe reckless, but, um, you know, at the time it, it looked right and I'd never, never seen anything like it. So, Yeah, nice. And, mate, just quickly, you mentioned hot copper there. What, what uh, in terms of kind of social or communities that you're in, whether it's Twitter, Discord, what do you find them beneficial for? What, do you, what don't you find them disadvantage, disadvantageous in terms of? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I've, I've just found more often than not, that whoever I thought was uh, was doing well, you know, maybe wasn't. <laughs> like you join these, uh, you know, hot copper or you join Discord and, you know, you think someone's sort of got it. And uh, you, I don't know, have you had a similar experience? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say that the most impressive guys that I've met in um, in real, real life um, are probably, yeah, generally the quieter, ones are definitely not out there beating the chest. Great definitely. And um, 
I would say, yeah, so on hot copper, I would, I probably wouldn't use it to trade, to be honest. I mean, I don't think there's, there's a lot of people there that are having a bit of fun. Um, there's a few things, you know, I, I think it's worth keeping an eye on, you know, like if there's potentially an upcoming cap raise, um, you know, you might want to scroll through hot copper and see if you can spot someone talking about that or something like that. But um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade on it. It's just sort of knowing where the puck is and where people are looking. I'll give an example of that, actually. Um, I am you, which is a recent uh, runner um, on hot copper. I think that was like, must be the most talked about stock of the year. And this thing had just been beaten down in a downtrend for forever. And uh, it was on hot copper. It was like the only, it was only good things, right? You were reading. And um, so, yeah, I guess you're, you're watching this thing knowing there's a lot of eyes on it and there's a lot of bullishness. Um, and you can sort of know that if this thing turns, it's not going to be just you watching it. There should be like a lot of money piling in behind that if they've, if they've got a worthwhile announcement and, uh, you know, everyone stays bullish and it's, yeah. So you're sort of just using it as a social metric, I'd say. And as for Discord, yeah. yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that one? Yeah. On Hot Copper, I like, I've spent time in there and you very quickly understand that using it as a, almost like a contrarian sentiment indicator as you did is pretty much the only good use for that platform. It is, it's pretty much engineered and to the point where unless you're putting something positive about a company, you are, you know, you're not getting engagement through likes, which is the metric that pushes posts to the top. You're not getting um, feedback from other people. You're not getting any sort of good discussion about a, a stock unless you are singing its praises. So there's, you have to understand the echo chamber that it's in and in a world where, you know, biases are so strong um, and, and can affect so many decisions where money's on the line. It is just an echo chamber for that, um, which, yeah, I think keeping it, keeping that in mind when you are going down the rabbit holes of hot copper is very, very important. Um, a little less so on discord, like the ASX day trading chat, for example, I wouldn't, I wouldn't listen to what anyone has to say on there, not because they're really good or really bad, but it's, you know, everyone is pushing their own agenda in some way, but what discord is really good for, for example, is I've met you, I've met so many other great traders and it's a really great foundation to understanding more about the community. People are there to bounce questions off each other and things like that. And it's not in a manner that's pushing your, I guess your agenda to make money, um, down, down the throats of other people. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, I mean, the cool thing about some of those groups in Discord is I think a few of us sort of call each other out if something goes wrong, which is nice. You yes. Know, not yeah. managing our risk. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I would say, you know, if if I was chatting to someone that's getting into it, like whoever you think is, is doing well, you know, just double check it because, uh, you know, you might be following someone that's uh, looking a little bit more shinier than they are. But, um, you know, that being said, best traders that I've met have been through Discord, but just do your background checks, really. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really good. Mate, how has the EOS trade essentially changed your trading at all? Are you now looking for those higher conviction players to go again? Or do you still trade day-to-day -day and then should a you know the gear maker trade come along does that you then 
direct all your attention to that? Like how's, how's it formed trading for you? It's, I reckon it's had the adverse effect. Like I don't want more of it. I want less of it. The whole thing was terrifying. Like just, just to be, you know, big in a stock where it's, um, you know, the, I think when it was moving, right, there was a point where if I hit out, like I'd move it like five or six cents, you know, and you'd see this thing tick down and your heart would flutter a little bit. And, uh, uh, you know, plenty of times I just had to go for a walk and, um, yeah, if anything, it's, it sort of pushed me the other direction. And I, I need to, um, disclose that I went in for a second time recently on EOS and, um, wasn't the same size. I was a lot smaller, but enough to feel it. And, uh, it didn't work out. They announced they're in a dispute with their lender and, uh, the stock price tanked and, that did me a bit of damage and that was uh, a bit unfortunate. Thankfully, I still have a lot of my profits, but uh, certainly did a, a big chip in the account. So, um, yeah, just from that whole experience, I I sort of want to move the other way into just more bite-sized little trades where you're not holding overnight. Um, you're not, you know, wondering if something's going to happen, some news is going to hit the market. Um, it's had the opposite effect. I. I'd love to have those conviction trades, but I don't think they come very often. And even when they do, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot more stressful than just taking little nibbles. <laughs> mm. And I want to, I want to hit on, um, just the psychological bit that you mentioned there in a sec, but, um, yep. we're at, uh, 11 o'clock your time. Ooh. Is this uh close out time or? It is definitely close out time. Thank you, Martin. Mm -hmm. And, um, what I will say also is I've just noticed that, FMG here has gotten trapped in the uh, the black hole of a round number, which is an all too common occurrence. And had I seen that before, oh. maybe I would treat it differently. I don't know, but you do see these large cap stocks. They um they tend to they tend to stay. Um, how much have I got left here? Thousand. I'll just close this. So they tend to just get stuck uh, in a black hole at a round number. <laughs> yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Same with futures. Yeah. Well, that, not, I wouldn't say trap, but it, uh, support and resistance, obviously, just simple supply demands. People like the uh, nice round numbers to put buys and sells around, but um, yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, so just quickly, mate, how do you, when you when it was dropping a few cents at a time, any, um, any kind of advice you can give to people that are in the, on the wrong side of a trade? Um, yeah, I, I would say don't look at it like... Don't, don't be naive and not have a plan for when it goes wrong, obviously. Um, but if you can set an alert and, and let it be, I mean, the, the money's made in waiting. You're not going to make more because you saw a, a tick, you know. Um, check it, you know, every few hours and have a look at the tape, see if anything has happened. But, um, yeah, I'd say just make sure you get your alerts right and then go and live your life. <laughs> I, I didn't do that and that was a mistake. Yeah. Mato and I have both seen your sort of daily results. We we post them um in in a Discord channel together and they're often quite consistent. You keep your losses small, you keep your wins, you know, they're all sort of very consistent and they're not they're not massive either way. They're very um disciplined. How have you developed that side? Was that that mental side, something that came naturally to you. How have you developed that? Um, yeah, talk to me on, on your, your mental frameworks. Yeah, okay. I mean, I guess the, the real question here is just 
position sizing is uh is what that comes down to and um yeah probably probably based on comfort is a good thing to do i'd say like when you're starting because um the second that you really feel it you start to do weird things you start to um you know second guess every tick and things like that so probably going into every trade and and having an idea of um where the point of discomfort is where it starts to affect you so you know you might say it's a dollar amount maybe five hundred dollars affects you maybe it's a hundred dollars but if you can start somewhere and then just put it into a spreadsheet and you know if you're doing well you you grow that then that's that's a, a good basis um and then the other thing is you know if something's something's beneath VWAP and it's, you know, it's sitting there offside for a while, like it's, it's probably not coming back. So uh, I'm pretty quick to get rid of any, anything that's not going my way. I'm, you know, I'm super cautious. If, if something's moving my way, I'm skeptic. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'd say that's probably what you're seeing is just me chopping a position pretty quickly if, if it doesn't work and also just having, a baseline dollar amount when I go in based on where I'm at. Um, and if it starts to move up on that dollar amount, then, you know, I'll know that, okay, this thing has moved offside and it's probably not coming back. So I'll chop it. It's yeah, it's just risk management. I'd say the consistency side is it's all risk management. It's not really that predictive. Um, of course you want to have an idea of what you think the index is doing and, you know, what the stock's doing based on the last few days of price action. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, you can't control the market. So it's just, just make sure you chop anything that's not working. Standard, standard advice, really. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. The, the next thing I really want to get into with you is you ask very, very good questions in, um, in voice channels or chat channels when, when I see you interact with other people in the community, but you're also, you've got a very good, um, basis of, of learning around the markets. What are the resources that you've had in your trading journey that have really stood out to you as, as beneficial? Yeah. Books, people, um, exercises, whatever it may be. I've got to flip that on you. You're excellent at asking questions. You've, uh, you've come into this podcast and I just, I remember watching your first podcast. I was like, man, this guy's done this before or something. Wow. Um, it's cause I don't know anything. I just need to that's understand it, right? what's going on. <laughs> yeah. That's literally it. I mean, if you can expect that you know nothing and that you're wrong all the time, you're probably, you're probably going to have that motivation to ask questions. Right. And if you're actively trading, you'll remember very often that you know nothing. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you've, you've given me some good books to read and stuff. So yeah, what what can you impart on on those at very various levels of their trading journey that you think um, yeah. really helped you? Well, okay. So what what's been instrumental for me, and this is part of the reason that I gave you that book, Mind Over Markets. Uh, I can't take credit for that. I mean, that's not my wisdom, but um, I thought I'd pass that on because there's a fellow that I had a bit to do with, very knowledgeable guy who was happy enough to. Um, to share his knowledge with me. He sent me that book and he said, it's everything um, that I've known about markets, everything I've used to make make money. Um, and I think you were interested in sort of the futures in the large cap space. So I pushed that through, but that was, um, that was a gentleman that I met through a Discord group. He had some mutual friends and uh, he's since retired. Uh, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. We might leave names out. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. He's... No, we'll leave names out, but he, he's a very um, successful trader and he, he's also, yeah, someone who's since retiring has a lot of time for a lot of other traders. Yeah. What a guy, hey? What a nice guy. Yeah. And um, yeah, like if just to give anyone listening a, an overview of, um, you know, his level of success in the futures market, I think I asked him one day, I said, you know, what's an average day look for you, look like for you? And uh, he measured it in um, in liters of jet fuel. So, <laughs> he's, uh, and that's because he purchases jet fuel. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, you gave me Mind Over Markets um, by Jim Dalton. That was a, a really good read for those wanting to get into sort of futures and understanding market structure and stuff. Um, you you also touched on uh, Jason Shapiro from Unknown Market Wizards. Yeah. Um, is that another book that you read and you got a lot out of? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Market Wizards series is, you can't go wrong with that. Um, Linda Rajke, you know, I think I took a leaf out of her book with her Street Smarts book, which is a bit older now, but has some, some concepts there. Um, what else? I mean, I have a hard drive of, I think, 850 trading books. And I just go through like, you know, whenever I get a spare second on the computer, I'm just reading it. But, uh, I think those those names stick out the most, yeah. Um, yep. Who else do I look at? Um, the other one would be terms of uh, traders. You know, you mentioned Chase Fabrio, um, uh, Austin out of um, out of Sydney. They obviously in the in the glory days would post their daily P and Ls. Talk to me about how you use those, and and if there's anyone still around that does that sort of thing. Yeah, I'll also plug Alan McGrath from. Um, from Traders Edge, he has been him and his group. I was in that for quite a while, and yeah, he's really happy to answer questions, and I think he's great. There's another guy in Bali I went and visited, um, who's not trading anymore. That was fantastic, but um, yeah, I I think it's when I talk about Nick Fabrio and and Bryce's um, P and Ls and and when they post, dear God, I I don't know how they pull the rabbits out of the hat. They're so good. <laughs> I can't are, say that I've are. worked it out, you know, like I, I used to every day when Nick would post his, um, his Twitter P&L and, you know, he'd, he'd something had moved three cents and he'd milked it for, you know, 5k. And I, I just cannot say that I have any read on how that guy is doing so well. I mean, props to him. Amazing. <laughs> yep. Mate, that uh, concludes your hour. That concludes your hour of trading. Fantastic. I think you pocketed, is it? Is that right? I thought you pocketed more than 592. Oh, it looks. Just click on the arrow the, the at the top right there of the screen. Just here? Yeah. Yeah. No? Okay. We'll have to, yep. uh, we'll have to go back and um, we'll, double check that. We'll do We'll do the instant replay, but I'll, I'll take it as it is. $592 profit, that puts you in third place. Um, so we've got obviously Mato still at number one. Um, and then, you know, d d yeah, he's, he's still got it. No one's de dethroned him yet, but um, so mate, well done. I think you said to Dan Nolan that you think there was a little bit of strategy here in Mato's timing. Uh, yeah, listen, I'll, I'll purely um, talk behind his back on that. He was <laughs> the podcast, so. It's all legal, mate. All legal. I just uh, was selective in when I traded, that's all. That's good. Yep. Nailed it. Yep. Um, mate, I know no. choke, chokes, you might um, have something before we wrap up, but before we do, I want to hear from you, mate. I want to know about 
cliff jumping or cliff mm. diving, um, yep. which I thought was pretty uh, unique. And um, if you survive that, uh, what the next kind of few years look like in terms of goals yeah. and where you want to be? Um, yeah, okay. So cliff jumping has just been something that I guess I grew up with. We we grew up by the river and we just go down and try a few flips and we all had trampolines. And um, yeah, it's just been a natural extension. And, and right now, actually, as this has been recorded, um, we've got our first ever Oz Australian cliff jump tour, which is going on. So we've got about 20 or 30 people that are traveling from down like Wollongong area up to Newcastle. And uh, man, these guys are world-class. I mean, I'm... I'm like, you know, I'm not great compared to some of these guys and they're 17. They're amazing. They're doing triple flips off 25 meters and it's, it's quite a blast. So yeah, that's something that we do in summer and um, it's just a lot of fun. It's, it's, I guess in some ways it's similar to, to trading. You learn to deal with your head a bit when mm. you're standing on something pretty high. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what, what's involved in the cliff jumping? Like, is it, do you just find somewhere, find an edge and just jump and hope? Or like what's, what what makes a good cliff jumper? What what draws you towards it? Like t- just tell me more about it. It's, yeah, cool. Yeah. All right. So a lot of it's acrobatics, you know, so we're all trialing okay. things into a foam pit or on a trampoline, something like that. And then, uh, you know, at a certain point, trampoline doesn't go that high and uh, the ground's pretty hard. So <laughs> you change it up a bit and uh, you try and do it into the water. And, you know, we've got a pretty good map. Um, I think we've all collaborated on building a map around Australia of spots that are reasonably safe to jump and, and deep enough. And you'll go there with a few lads and uh, you'll you'll dive down, see if it's deep enough. And then normally if it's higher, you'll have a few people in the water just um, down below checking that everything's okay for when you land. And, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll go and you'll, you'll do your flips and you'll try and not do anything too out of your comfort zone. It probably looks pretty wild in the videos, but a lot of these guys are – pretty serious in their training i mean a lot of them are competing on the world stage for trampoline and things like that so right it's uh, kind of um uh, i was just going to say it kind of the first thing that came to mind when i was trying to think about how it relates to trading and you kind of um uh, alluded to it is like what the one the one thing that i've seen i reckon over the last six months in terms of people that i deal with like i think the biggest issue if i had to pick one is like that loss aversion kind of mindset that people have in terms of you know how they have done studies and people are you know they do anything to get out of making a loss even if they're offered much greater profits and i definitely see that a lot whether you know it's people that don't want to pay for something that could give them a a significant you know benefit or um you know entering a trade they're worried about you know their downside without fully kind of getting their risk management together or whatever um, so yeah, it's probably a good point that you know you've got to you make that jump literally, and it's um, you've got to have a strategy to to get that that mind over matter. And I'm not the only trader in that group. I mean, you nailed it. I think those guys are pretty good at uh, taking risks. So yeah, there's a, another fellow that I jump with that's uh, fairly into the crypto space, and he's done he's done very well for himself on a on a few of those trades there. And it's, it, that's it. I mean, he's just comfortable taking risks. Um, if I ever catch up with you in person, can you take me to a cliff? And I'll, I won't do any acrobatics, but I'd love just to jump. Is that something that you can do? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You, you let That's me know. Cool. Even on the, uh, be on the looking for a new, new co-host after that. <laughs> <laughs> Man, after putting up with you, I won't even want any border underneath. All right. <laughs> there's, some, there's some good spots on the Gold Coast and up in Brizzy, so we can we can make that happen. Oh, cool. 
Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, so uh, Mato asked at the back of that cliff jumping question, uh, what's yeah. what's next for you over the next six months to five years, 10, 20 years, you know, what's what's going on? What do you, where do you want to be? Well, at the moment, I'm not a full-time trader. Um, I'm a part-time trader and uh, I wouldn't say that I could live off full-time trading. Um, so yeah, I would like to move into that. Um, I would like to scale a bit more. Um, I also have the real estate photography business that I do with my partner and uh, that's going pretty well. Um, I think I'm at a point in things where if I can just gradually increase those two projects, um, I still feel like I have capacity to do more real estate shoots um, throughout the day. And I also think that I have capacity to increase, you know, the trading sizes and consistency and, you know, work a little bit more to be uh, quantitative, um, you know, a little bit more uh, Excel spreadsheet based. Um, that's, I guess that's the focus at the moment. It's how can I be more consistent in a quantitative way with trading and increase my sizing? And, um, you know, how can I just pack on a few more clients and with the real estate uh, media and also keep expenses nice and low so that I can have a good chunk of time where I'm just doing what I love, um, which is, it's good. I'm lucky, you know, I'm lucky to be able to call my schedule. And if the boys decide to do a cliff jump trip, I can sort of manage that. So that's good. Yep. One last question. I've probably said this about three times, but I'll probably say it three more times. Um, you're very, obviously you're very fit active how much does that play into the mindset for your trading does it does it make a real positive impact i you know what <laughs> i uh i think i struggle with probably having a bit too much go you know it's just um i think that when you're training pretty hard or you know you're, you're doing things that are adrenaline raising you sort of you you kind of got to come off the throttle more than you got to get on it you know and probably that's been a thing particularly with position sizing for me you know if I really like something I'll I'll jump on that throttle and so I'd say the the fitness training and, and the you know the things that raise adrenaline um, I think a lot of people think it's like a, a really healthy thing and it is it helps you de-stress and it helps you get your mind right and everything but like if anything I think you need I, I personally need more meditation and less running and you know all that sort of go activity <laughs> yeah no that's great Mato, any parting questions for Bo before we leave it here no we've covered it mate yeah no it's interesting that self-awareness bit as well um with the you know meditation as opposed to to the exercise mate so um yeah no it's been amazing great to uh great mate, to catch up you guys are great can people... thank you yeah that was really good oh, thank you um where, where can people find you if they want to reach out or, or learn a bit more about you or, or, you know, say thanks for such a good episode? Like, yeah, is it Twitter, Instagram? Um, yeah, probably Instagram if you go backflip bow. Um, and I would probably say find a better guru if you can reach out to me. Um, but, yeah, backflip bow on, on Instagram if you want to see me jump off things and uh, mess around. And, yeah, feel free to ask anything and I'll, I'll do my best to give some answers, but I haven't. I haven't solved the market, so I'll, I'll push you in the right direction as someone who's better than me. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Awesome, mate. Thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on, on currently third place, um, turning a profit today. Thank you for trading equities. Very much appreciated. And, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Jurgis. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bo. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Marta. See Bye. you later. Bye, mate.